pray this finds you having a blessed morning. Looking forward to getting into God's Word together from the book of James. Last week we started in verse 14 talking about the idea of faith and works. Um, what uh, it means to be able to have not works that save you, but works that show you're saved. And what that does is that shows that the fruit of the Spirit is active and growing in your life. And it's not that you work or do things because you have to. You do it because you want to as a follower of Christ. It Being a follower of Christ, um, it compels you to want to serve and do others. And so what you do is you... You show others who Jesus is and and what he's done for you by the way that you serve them. And so um, James is going to continue that. We're going to look in verses 15 and 16. He's going to bring up um, kind of an illustration and an example. And we're going to look at that and we'll see how far we go today. So we'll read verse 14 to kind of build context to get to verses 15 and 16. In verse 14, it said, James says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? Verse 15 and 16, If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? All right? So James is going to use this illustration concerning someone in need. Now, what we need to understand is when James is talking about someone lacking clothing here, it's actually um, kind of an overstatement. If you if you look a little bit deeper into it, he's he's really kind of using a hyperbole here showing this is not just a simple case of someone maybe lacking a coat. He's implying that this person is naked. He's implying that this person is in absolute desperation. When you go and you look at the original Greek language here. Um, so this, he, he's really, he's selling the point here. He's not just kind of saying, hey, you're walking down the street, you see somebody that doesn't have a coat and the wind's blowing. He says, and again, I'm I'm trying to to paint the hyperbole and the overstatement. You're you're driving down the street in a snowstorm and you see someone walking naked and you just roll down your window and you say, boy, I hope you can stay warm while you have a snowsuit in the back of your vehicle with boots and gloves and hat and scarf and all that. That is kind of the hyperbole or overstatement that James is making here. He says, if you see a brother or sister without clothes and lacking daily food, he's saying if you see a brother or sister that is naked and hungry, This person James is using is not just someone who 
is, is if you want to say it this way, has no means of help. Again, understanding the illustration, James is overstating that this guy or this, this person over here is naked and without food. And the person he's talking about is not someone who is without themselves. He's saying this is someone who has full ability to meet their needs. So this is the scenario we're looking at. He says, you are a person, when you see someone in need, God has given you and blessed you with the ability to meet that need. So this is not one of those that that we sit down and we try to, you know, figure out loopholes. And, And what I mean by that is this. We live in such a day and time being fearful of scams. And scams. And and listen, I'm not saying you need to just be haphazard and reckless and, you know, throw money away and throw stuff. I'm I'm not saying that. But we, and when I say we, I'm talking mostly here, what I'm talking is, is about people that call themselves Christians. We seem to spend more time trying to find the loophole not to serve than we do just simply serving. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples of what I'm talking about. I remember um, as a church planner, when we were back in Virginia, <clears throat> one of the things that we done is we started a food pantry and we started a clothing ministry and things like that because we knew there was a lot of people that was in need. And... Just stating fact here. I'm not being ugly. Just stating fact. We had some people that, you know, initially volunteered and said, hey, I've got some stuff at the house. Uh, I would love to donate. And I'm like, yeah, man, bring it. And so we sorted the clothes and stuff like that. And they even had come to the point to where they said, you know what? I'm going to help. I want to help with the the clothing ministry and stuff. And I said, that would be great. I, I need all the help I can get. And I can remember we were there and we would allow people to come in. And, and, you know, we weren't too high tech. We just gave them a trash bag and said, you know, as you can come through, you can come through and shop and get things that you need. And I remember that this person who had specifically donated and helped and was helping with the, the clothing ministry noticed that this person picked up a lot of their clothes. And I don't understand, I don't know kind of how all this worked. I don't know how that they figured all of this out. But that person came to me within the next day or two and said, you know, if you don't change some of the policies here, I'm not going to donate my clothes anymore and I'm not going to help out because I don't know if you know this or not, but the person who came in here yesterday that ended up getting a bunch of clothes and, and, and some of them were mine that I had donated. They went right down the road and they set up on the side of the road and they, they yard sold the clothes that they got here for free from the clothing ministry. They went down the road and, and, and sold them. And I think they were looking for me to have just this massive reaction of, oh my goodness, I can't believe that. And I looked at him and said, you know what? That's not my problem. 
My job is not to dictate and control what people do with these clothes. I'm not going to put stipulations on it to say, if you come in to this church and you get clothes here, this is what you have to do with them. You have to wash them only in Tide. You can't wash them in any other laundry detergent. You can only dry them on low heat. And you have to make sure that when you do wear these, you wear them back when you come to our church so that way we know you got the clothes here. I mean, come on. How are you going to give something away for free to someone in order to serve them and then put stipulations on it? And then the other thing that I tried to share with them was this. Apparently, you didn't really donate your clothes because what you've done is you brought your clothes with conditions on them. See, when you donate something, you no longer have your hands on it. So what you've done is you've donated, and I use air quotes here, your clothes with conditions that people do what you want to with them. So I said, the best thing you can do if if you're so worried about somebody selling them and making money on them, how about you just keep them and you yard sell them yourself? That's kind of the idea of what I'm looking at here. Another example is... We, we have such an, you know, there's, you drive up to Walmart or you drive up to different places, especially around holiday times, and you see all of these people with signs. And, you know, they're looking, they got their family out there. And, you know, when we pull up, we'll look at it. And here, here's what will go through a lot of people's minds. You pull up and you see them sitting on a cooler and they're drinking a Mountain Dew and you're like, well, if they can afford that Mountain Dew, then I'm not giving them my $5. Really? Maybe somebody gave them that Mountain Dew. Why is it that we, when it, oh, I understand now. Money is our God. Our things oftentimes turn into be our God. And so what happens is is when money is our God, then we begin to control where it goes because we forget that God gave it to us and that it's not yours in the first place. Because see, what happens is we become very judgmental whenever we see these people and we're trying to look them up and down as we're driving by them to find the reason why we shouldn't give them our money because all they are is they're going to go, we always say they're going to go buy beer and cigarettes with it. That's what I hear from people all the time. Oh, if I, if I give them my five, honey, you can't buy beer and cigarettes for $5. Not in today's economy. But maybe instead of giving them money, have you thought about riding down the road and getting them something to eat and bringing it back to them? No, because usually what happens is this. We look them up and down. We've justified why I don't need to serve them. And we completely tune them out from that point on. Knowing that God has overly blessed us in so many ways. And instead of looking at someone and trying to help them, we do exactly what James is saying here. We see someone who's naked. We see someone who has no food. We roll down our window and we say, God bless you, I'm praying for you. That ain't going to keep them warm and that ain't going to feed their belly. But the real problem is, is we don't want to serve people Because we're convinced that everybody's trying to scam us. You know what? 
You drive by that person at Walmart and you hand them a $5 bill, I promise you this, it's not going to break you up. I promise you this, you're not going to be going back home and biting your fingernails, figuring out how to pay your bills by giving that person $5. See, let's pull back and let's get to the real heart of the matter. The reason why you don't want to give that person $5 is because we're allowing judgmentalism to come into our lives. We're trying to look at that person and we're convinced that that person is living immorally. We're convinced that that person is going to do bad things with that money. And we're convinced that that person is lying. That they either have a lot of money, they, have a, they already have a job. You know, they're just trying to pull on my heartstrings by having those kids out there. Let me ask you a question. What would happen to you if you lost everything all of a sudden and you had to do something like that? How would you feel? when everybody thought that about you. I remember we went up to partner with one of my dear friends, Pastor Marlin in D.C., and we went to a homeless shelter up there, and I remember that we were talking to a lady up there. And she said, you know, she said, I never would have dreamed that I would be homeless. She said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not an alcoholic. I've not, I've not drank. I'm not a drug addict. I've not been addicted to drugs. She said, I ended up having some bills come in. And I just didn't have the money to pay. And I got so behind financially that I ended up getting kicked out. I think she she either lived in an apartment or she was renting or something like that. And she said literally within just a matter of a couple months, I went from being fine living in a home to where I had a few medical bills come in and I was wiped out. And I was on the streets. And luckily there was this homeless shelter here. And I remember we had a couple of uh, the people that were with us and some of our students when we got back and we were talking about it, every one of them said the same exact thing. When you look at her, you would never think she's a homeless person. Nothing about her seems or comes across as if she's a homeless person. But see, we're, we're, we're so judgmental in the way that we look at people, in the way that we try to justify ourselves and we justify trying to serve people. And James is saying, <clears throat> if you really look at it, if you look at the life of Jesus, now, they didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to go back and look at right here, but we do. And really what James is saying to us is if you go back and you look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels, Jesus never looked people up and down to try to figure out whether he was going to serve them or not. Jesus served the people that nobody else would. Jesus served the people that the other, the other religious leaders would look at and say, why in the world is he spending time with them? They're nothing but sinners. Jesus said, yeah, that's who I've come to seek and to save. That's who I'm coming after. And see, what James is saying is Jesus modeled it for us. Jesus showed us that it's a matter of being, if you, if, if you want to call yourself a Christ follower, you serve, and you serve regardless. Now again, I'm not saying that whenever you pull up to Walmart, you, you empty your wallet and give them your credit card. I'm not saying that. But that $5 bill in your wallet is not going to make or break you, but it could make or break that person. 
And we spend so much time trying to make sure that people aren't trying to mess us over and that we're not in some kind of a scam. When if we really want to be honest about it, did you need to spend the $5 on the thing that you spent the $5 on because you've already got excess? See, that's the problem is that we're, we're spending money to buy more stuff that we don't need but yet we're not willing to be able to serve others who are in desperate need because we want to justify why we shouldn't give them our money, which is why I'm saying money too often is our God. We think that, oh, I've worked so hard to earn my money. No, you got it because God gave it to you. You wouldn't have what you have unless God blessed you with your job or blessed you with whatever you have. You wouldn't have it unless God blessed you with it. So you're not in control of it. And I'm not in control of mine. But it's amazing how I love to believe I have all the say-so with it. And I don't. But that's where we go. We go there way too often. In the book of 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. Oh, no, 3.18, I'm sorry. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. It says, Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. That's 1 John 3.18. And we'll read it again. Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in action and in truth. Let us love in action. See, it's, it's what you do for other people, not just what you say. It's even like this. This is one of the things I try to teach people all the time. Don't go up to someone and say, after they share something with you. You know, let, let's say, for instance, you come up to me and you share with me, hey, you know what? Jeremiah, I am struggling so bad right now. I just got some things that are going on. And uh, I, I look at you and say, you know what, brother? Boy, I'll be praying for you. And I just walk away. You know what? That is useless. Because 99% of the time, you know this as well as I do, you done forgot it before you walked off. You aren't praying for them. It is not going to cross your mind. And all we did was we just said what we think is the Christian thing to say to other people is I'll be praying for you. Here's the difference. You come up to me and you share with me this concern that you have. You know what I do? Is I say, you know what? Can I pray with you right now? And I immediately take that need to God in prayer. You know what the difference is? That's 1 John 3.18, word and action. I didn't just tell you I'm going to pray for you. I prayed for you. See, there's a big difference there. Here's the other thing. You say, Jeremiah, I don't agree with you. I don't think I need to give my money to people sitting at Walmart and I don't think that I need to you know, do this. All right, so here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. Since money's your God and you're not going to do that, I'm going to challenge you to do something else. Park your car close to them. Get out of your car. Go over to them and say, hey, how can I be praying for you today? Kneel down and pray with them right there concerning all of their prayer needs. Would you be willing to do that? Would I be willing to do that? If I'm not willing to help them out financially, would I be willing to at least do that? No, we wouldn't. See, because that's really the problem. It's not the fact that it, it, we just don't want to serve others. That's really what it boils down to. And that's what James is talking about here. We love to walk around too often, especially uh, religious people love to walk around and talk about how religious that they are, but there's not a lot of things in their life that show that. And then here's the other problem. If you did park your car 
and you go over there and you sit down with that person to pray, you got to pull your cell phone out and take a picture of you praying with the person who's sitting there with the homeless sign saying, hashtag uh, serving Jesus. Because again, we've got to be noticed. So here's where I'm going with all of this. You may say, well, Jeremiah, it's taking you a long time to get here. Here's the real problem with what we deal with and what James is talking about. We're so self-centered, we can't serve other people. Even using the example James says, even seeing someone who is naked with no clothes, starving to death, instead of trying to serve them, we just roll down the window and say, God bless you, rather than serving them. Why? Because we're more concerned with ourselves than we are with other people. That's why most people today don't know how to have relationships because we're so focused on ourselves that we can't listen about the problems or the difficulties or the concerns in other people's lives because all we got to do is talk about our own. We're so focused on us and what we don't have than we are about others and how we can come alongside and serve them. See, look in verse 17. This is what James says. In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. See, James brings it back to faith and shows this previous illustration here applies to faith. And faith without any action is a dead faith. Listen to what Burdick says. Action is the proper fruit of living faith. Therefore, if no deeds are forthcoming, it is proof that the professed faith is dead. Here's in essence what he's saying. You can tell me you're a Christian all day long, but if there's nothing in your life that shows me that you are a follower of Christ, the faith you're talking that you have is dead. Now again, this is not saying that the works I do save me. What James is saying is that if you want to call yourself a Christ follower, there has to be things in your life that show your concern is others. If you were to sit down and think about the life of Jesus in the Gospels, that's one glaring word that comes up is Jesus always thought about others. I've used this illustration numerous times. When Jesus is in a boat and he comes up to a specific area, what does it usually always say about him? It says, and Jesus saw the people and he had compassion on them. Jesus was ready to serve them. He gets out the boat. The, the crowds just swarm around him. And what does he do? He starts ministering to people. He starts healing people. He's not concerned with himself. He's concerned with others. See, what I want us to understand is this. And make sure you hear what I'm getting ready to say. There is a difference in a saving faith and a serving faith. A saving faith is one where we understand we're a sinner. We repent of our sins and we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And we get salvation. A serving faith is saving faith in sanctification. Please make sure you hear what I just said. A serving faith is saving faith in sanctification because here's the thing. Saving faith 
grows every day. Sanctification means I'm being more saved every day. I'm being made more like Christ. I'm being conformed more into the image of His Son. I got the privilege yesterday. We had a young girl on Sunday morning that was saved during a Sunday morning worship service. And I didn't even know. But Sunday evening, I got a phone call and was told that when I was closing out the service and I was talking about um, what it means to repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ, this young lady said, when you were saying that and when you were praying that, I prayed and I repented of my sins and I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And so I was able to talk with her yesterday to make sure that she understood what she was doing and to make sure that she understood what it, what, what it meant to repent of her sins and, and that she was a sinner. And, and I, I told her this question. I said, I want you to understand what you experienced was a, a moment. That faith that you put in Jesus was that, in that moment was salvation. But understand that your faith and, and is going to continuously grow every day because that's what sanctification is. That means you're being made more like Jesus every day. So what James is saying here is you can't just say, oh, I was saved 10 years ago. But there's nothing in your life that shows that you have this serving faith, that that, that saving faith is growing every day. What you're doing is you're relying on that moment way back there rather than being able to let that saving faith grow more today than it did yesterday. That's why he's saying the faith is dead because the faith never produced anything. See, it goes back to the parable of the sower. You remember? In the parable of the sower, it fell in different spots. Remember the one? It fell among the rocks. And it did take root for just a little bit, but then it died. See, what happens is sometimes people have emotional experiences that they call salvation. And it's usually because they have some messed up things going on in their lives. And so they're really emotional. They hear that Jesus can fix me because we mispreach what salvation is. Salvation is not Jesus fixing you. Salvation is you recognizing you're dead and Jesus can make you alive. But what happens is we're emotional because we got some, some garbage going on in our lives. And we hear that Jesus can fix us. And so we just put our faith in Jesus and we say we get saved. And then, you know, two weeks later, the garbage isn't gone. Jesus hasn't fixed anything. And so we realize that, well, you know, apparently this wasn't true. That's the, that's the seed that landed among the rocks. It took a little bit of root, but then it died because there was nothing there. That's what James is talking about. That's faith that's dead. Lee makes this comment. He said, Faith in Jesus produces actions revealing the nature and character of Jesus. The dead lie still doing nothing. So faith that lies still, inactive, proves to be dead. True faith brings salvation and life, not death. So what he's saying is is, is very simple. And again, it's not being harsh. It's not being judgmental. It's just looking at it for what it is. For someone to claim to be a Christ follower and you don't see them having Jesus being lived out through their day-to-day life, James says that's not not a saving faith. That's a dead faith. It's not real. So you say, well, what is that? It's intellectual belief. It's not saving faith. It's intellectual belief. 
See, you're not surrendering your life over to Jesus. You're just trying to believe in Jesus in order to not go to hell or in order to fix your situations. Because here's really what James is saying. You can't have Jesus living in your heart and not have Jesus come out of you in your day-to-day life. It's impossible. You can't have Jesus in your heart and not want to serve others. You can't have Jesus in your heart and not love other people. You can't have Jesus in your heart and not see someone in need and compassion come all over you. So what James is saying is, this is how we know whether someone is truly a Christ follower or not. All you have to do is ask this question. When I look at Bob over here, do I see Jesus coming out of him, being lived out? Do I see Bob being the hands and feet of Jesus? Do I see Bob living with compassion for other people? Do I see Bob serving others more than I see Bob caring about himself? If so... Bob is a Christ follower. And here's how I know. Because Bob can't do any of that on his own. He can only do that if the Holy Spirit does it through. Because you know what? I can't love people the way Jesus loves them. I can't have a mindset to serve others unless Jesus is doing that through me. I can't have a mindset to want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You know why? Because as a person, I'm selfish. As a person, I'm not going to love people that I'm uncomfortable around. I'm not going to love people that hurt me. I'm not going to love people that are mean, rude, and unkind. As a person, I'm not going to think about others before I think about myself. I'm going to get mine. See, that's how you know Jesus lives in you because Jesus doesn't let you take over. Every one of us, apart from the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, we will will focus on ourselves. We will make sure that we are number one. We're not going to put others first. We're not going to serve other people. We're not going to look for ways to make sure we serve other people. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Look in verse 18. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. Burdick makes this comment. He says, The implication is that faith cannot be demonstrated apart from action. Only action can demonstrate someone's genuine faith. See, it's not about one or the other, but both must be working in unison together. I can't just sit down and I can say, I've got faith in Jesus. I also can't just sit down and say, look at all the works that I'm doing. You can't do either or, it's both and. See, what James is saying is we don't try to produce works to prove our faith. But having genuine saving faith produces works. I'm going to say that statement again and I want you to hear what it says. We don't try to produce works to prove our faith. But having genuine saving faith produces works. So it's not that you hear, for instance, this podcast and say, you know what, in order to make Jeremiah 
you know, to do what he's telling me to do, I got to go out and I got to serve in every ministry in the church. No, that's not at all what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you have to go prove your, your faith by producing works. What I'm saying is this, if Jesus lives in your heart, you're automatically going to be wanting to do it. You don't have to try to prove it. See, if someone hangs around me long enough, I hope that they don't have to sit down and wonder, man, I wonder if Jeremiah really loves the Lord. I wonder if, if, if Jesus is really important to Jeremiah. I hope that if you're around me for 15 minutes, you can tell that right off the bat. See, I shouldn't have to try to prove that I'm saved. I shouldn't have to walk around trying to produce things in order to show that I'm saved. Because, see, here's the real nuts and bolts of it all. If you go to John 15 and you have the, the, uh, Jesus talking about the vine and the branch, guess what the branch does? The branch simply abides. The branch does not produce fruit. The tree, the roots, produce the fruit. The branch just sits there and looks pretty. The branch just sits there and soaks up all of the nutrients that the roots are giving it, and fruit is produced. The branch doesn't work. The roots do. The same way Jesus living in your heart produces the works through you. All you are is a branch. You are abiding in Jesus, and Jesus produces the fruit of the Spirit through you. You don't produce anything. And so I don't have to walk around trying to produce works in order to prove my faith. I simply abide in Jesus. I simply let the Holy Spirit produce the fruit of the Spirit in my life. And that is what shows I'm saved. Not because of what I do, but because of what the Holy Spirit does through me. Because nothing that the Holy Spirit does through me, I can produce. I cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit. I can't. Here's another way of saying it. You cannot belong to Jesus and be a Christ follower and lack a desire to serve. You cannot belong to Jesus and be a Christ follower and lack a desire to serve. I'll give you an example. We got... We got a guy in our church right now. If you want to talk about the epitome of a servant, this guy, no matter what we have going on at the church, is always serving. He never has to ask to be asked to serve. Anything we do, he is there. And he's always serving in the background. He never, you would never even notice him unless you were looking for him. He never volunteers. 
If you're sitting here and you're saying, hey, we need volunteers to do something, you'll never see him raise his hand, but every time that that ministry is there, he's already there serving. And I used him as an illustration a couple weeks ago in one of our Bible study classes. I said, if you want to know someone who truly has the heart of a servant, the heart of Jesus, I said, it's this guy right here. And I asked the people who were there in that Bible study, I said, do you notice that every single time we have any kind of an event, any kind of ministry, any kind of opportunity to be able to serve, have you ever noticed that he is always there, but you never really notice that he's there? And every one of them said, you know what, you're right. He is always there. He's always serving other people. I said, you know what, that's the heart of someone who's a Christ follower. It's not just about saying I love Jesus. It's it's about being the hands and feet of Jesus in every opportunity. And it's not about lauding your works. It's not about taking a, a picture of yourself and saying, look at me. You just simply are serving other people because that's what Jesus wants us to do. Look here how James finishes this in verse 19. You believe that God is one, good, even the demons believe and they, they shudder or they tremble. James is saying, you can tell me all day long that you can believe in Jesus. Guess what? Great, so do the demons. But that doesn't make the demons saved. The demons have a belief in Jesus. You go back and you look at the miracles that Jesus performed. You go back and you look at Mark. uh, In the book of Mark, I believe it's chapter 5. Chapter 4, chapter 5. I can't remember off the top of my head. when, uh, Or chapter 3, somewhere in there, that Jesus goes to the Gerasenes and there's the demonic in the tomb. And it says that when Jesus got out of the boat, that the, the, the man that was possessed with uh, so many demons, that his name was Legion, that he came out and he met Jesus. And it says that, that he ran and he knelt down before Jesus. And it says that the demon spoke through him and said, Lord, why are you here to torment us before our time? They knew who Jesus was. The demons will, will completely attest. He's Jesus. He's the Son of God. That's what they said about him. But that doesn't make them saved. Just because you say you believe in Jesus does not make you saved. It's that you live a life to where Jesus lives through you to show that you believe in Jesus. You live surrendered to Jesus. See, that's the difference. You don't just acknowledge Him You live for Him. You don't just acknowledge, yeah, I know Jesus and I believe in Jesus. No, you live in such a way that your life just says it. You don't just look around and find people in need and find a reason not to serve them. You're constantly looking and saying, God, how can I be used by you today to make a difference for the kingdom? There's so many people in need today. And I'll tell you, we have such excess. We live so blessed. We can do so much more to serve other people. 
But besides clothes and besides money, you know what is really the reason why we don't serve other people? It's because we're mismanaging our greatest resource and that's time. The reason why we can't serve others is because we're so busy doing things for ourselves that we don't have time to serve other people. I hear this statement all the time, and I'm not being disrespectful and I'm not being ugly, but I hear this statement all the time. I would love to serve in that ministry, but I'm just so busy. You know what? That's a good Christian excuse. I heard a statement a long time ago that said, you make time for what you love. If you really love to serve other people, you'll make time for it. If you really want to do ministry, you'll make time for it. If you really want to put others first, you'll make time for it. Time is the most valuable resource we have because we can never get it back. Time is the greatest thing you can give to someone. But it also requires time to be able to notice the needs. And if we're so busy focusing on ourselves and so busy in our own life, you'll never be able to look at the needs of others. And listen, I'm not saying this that you're you're being controlled by Satan. What I'm saying is this. Understand Satan is a master manipulator and a master deceiver. And he makes us be busy with good things to miss out on the great things. I'm not saying that what most people today are busy with is absolutely horrible, sinful things. What I'm saying is most people are busy today with things concerning themselves and they're missing out on things that are greater than themselves. Because God's given them an opportunity to be able to do kingdom work. And instead of doing the big K kingdom work, which is his kingdom, we're doing the little K kingdom work, which is ours. So what I want to encourage you with today is I want you to be able to, if, if, if this has really kind of made you think, I want you to spend some time in prayer and say, you know what, God? Help me to start seeing other people the way that you see them. Help me to start noticing ministry needs. Help me to start noticing ways that I can serve other people and that I can minister to other people rather than just focusing on myself. Help me to start utilizing the most valuable resource I have, which is time, and give that to other people. Because I promise you this, if you start praying that way, God will open the opportunities for you. But you just got to want them. And if Jesus is truly living in you, you do. You may not, and it may even be something this simple. You may just not have the tools. You know what? Start with prayer. Start with prayer and I'm going to tell you, God will take care of it from there. Because remember, you don't have to do anything. You just got to abide. He's going to do it all through you. You just abide. So I pray this has challenged you. I pray it's been an encouragement. I pray it's made you think a little bit. Most of all, I pray that if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, you're just like the young lady that I got to talk to yesterday. You recognize that you're a sinner. You understand that you need to repent of your sins and you need to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I pray that you you find you message me, find somebody you know that's a Bible-believing Christian and talk to them and ask them what that means to be saved. 
I also encourage you, if this has been a blessing to you, give it a five-star rating on whatever um, platform you're listening to it on. Give it a review so it can get out there a little bit more. Share it with people, word of mouth. Also, if you're looking for a book, I've written a book called The Reality of the Enemy Concerning Spiritual Warfare uh, to be able to help you understand the way that Satan um, tries to attack. Um, And and hopefully that would be a blessing to you to be able to um, see some of the deceptions that he does and maybe be able to help you to draw a little bit closer to the Lord. You can get it on Amazon um, or you can get it at barnesandnoble.com, whichever one. I encourage you to get that and be a blessing to you. Pray you have a wonderful day. Go out, be the hands and feet of Jesus to somebody today and share your story.